0: God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Thank you so much for your worship. Thank you to the music team for leading us tonight. What a, what a great Wednesday night spirit of the Lord we feel in the house. Amen. Amen. Glad you're here and um, appreciate your presence on Wednesday night. There's a lot of other places we could all be. You chose to be in the house of the Lord. That's where we should be. Amen. I believe when the doors of the church are open, I want to do my best to be present. If I'm physically able, if I'm not working or sick, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. That's where I grow. Amen. Tonight we are going to uh, begin uh, our series in the book of Acts. And uh, we will start tonight and um, I will not promise you how faithful that I will be to this for the next few weeks. We have several things that are going, and I have uh, I have some other plans and other speakers that will be coming in, and, and, and actually here in just a, uh, a few weeks, um, we are going to take a couple or three Wednesday nights, and we're going to be working out at the campus trying to get, get some of the final little detail things finished up so we can make the move. So we're getting very close, very, very close to that. So um, we're looking forward to it. Amen. So if you have your Bibles tonight, and would like to turn with me to the book of Acts. I'm going to do my best to teach along the lines uh, of an expository style, uh, teaching style, uh, which is what I use for the book of Proverbs where I take a verse by verse and I inject and uh, give some commentary to the Scripture as we move. I don't want to move too quickly, and I want to take the time as we are moving through to try to give some explanation. So tonight uh, begins kind of some of the uh, introductory into uh, the book of Acts, and um, we're going to solidify a few things such as who wrote the book? Who the book was written to, and um, kind of get some of the uh, the opening narrative we're going to deal with a little bit tonight. And um, when you read when you read something, often I know my uh, my earlier days of study, I would open my Bible and look to see who wrote the book, and um, I just trusted whatever they said and never really looked to study who wrote it or or, or why, and sometimes they would say, well, it's attributed to this one, but maybe it's not clear, not sure, or a portion is by one author and another by another author, and so how how do we really know uh, these things? So I'm not going to bog down tonight, but I want to give you a little bit of insight that may help you uh, in understanding uh, the opening of the book of Acts. In order to read the book of Acts and to receive or and accept the book of Acts, one must read with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But without faith, it's impossible to read the book of Acts and come out the other side still believing. Because you're going to read accounts of, uh, all sorts of accounts of some pretty incredible things that happen, and uh, supernatural things, the dead being raised back to life, and some very incredible accounts. And understand that prior to the book of Acts, these were not common occurrences. So for, for some of these, it was the first time that anyone had ever witnessed the power of God working in a life. Religious tradition had bogged down the world. Judaism was, of course, the the Jewish law was the only way that man could deal with sin. And he separated himself by righteousness and consecration unto the Lord. So they, they did things like pray and fast. And they offered sacrifice, and by faith, they had faith in the sacrificial process. And the only sign that they had was that the priests told them that the glory and power of God came and consumed the sacrifice. And uh, they had many, many rituals, but they did not have the daily walk with God that you and I have. Prior to the book of Acts, one did not have the opportunity. You and I have Christ in us, our hope of glory. So, being filled with the Holy Ghost, prior to the book of Acts, no one was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so, uh, before the Holy Ghost was poured out in the book of Acts, people had, they did not have what you and I have on a daily occurrence. So you and I pray with faith believing. We have a problem. Our family will go to God in prayer and believe that God heard the prayer and is going to answer in work and do the miraculous. Prior to the book of Acts, these were very, very rare occurrences for God to work. And often it came to entire nations more so than individuals. And it came through the prophets that we would read about. But these were not common occurrences that happen in a very short space of time. This was spread over, when we read through the Old Testament, the accounts of the Old Testament are spread over hundreds and hundreds of years. Now we get to the book of Acts and we start seeing the occurrence of things that happen over a very short period of time. This happened and that happened and this day and the next day. And so Everything begins to change here. And with this being the case to an unbeliever, there is without a doubt high suspicion, or at least we would all be skeptical of the reality of what is being said. And so Luke opens the book of Acts, and he begins to deal specifically with logic and begins to talk very quickly trying to gain confidence in what he was saying and how he goes about saying it It is all about gaining confidence and building faith as one would read the book of Acts to, to gain very quick faith in what is being said. So the book of Acts, which continues now as a narrative that Luke began in his gospel. So if you want to read uh, the contiguous writings of Luke, you would first read the book of Luke and then move into the book of Acts. The accounts link, of course. Uh, both Luke and uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are attributed uh, to the writer Luke, who was a physician. So he writes more scholarly. He is more educated. He was a man of renown. And uh, people would know him and would take his word. And so as we read, began in the Gospel of Luke, and this is especially important, because as we move into the book of acts now here's the first thing that you really have to know and if you're new if you're newer to the church and newer to bible study i'm going to give you some some tidbits tonight that's going to help you into the future and this is one of the first things that you need to really know and that is that the book of acts is the first written history of the church Prior to the book of Acts, you have no history of the church. And so the book of Acts is truly the history of the church. And the reason that this is important is because many false doctrines that are taught to, even today throughout the Christian churches, people who teach false doctrine will miss the point if they miss this one fact that the book of Acts is the story, the history lesson of the beginning. It is the first written history of the Christian church. And so we need to know that, and, and we can refer to this many, many, many times. And you'll hear me through my teachings, my doctrinal teachings, particularly uh, if if I am dealing with someone who uh, has questions and they be- begin to try to draw uh, some uh, wrong doctrinal views that they will try to draw from, uh, for instance, the book of Romans. They may go to the book of Romans and they try to draw a doctrine out of the book of Romans. They are missing the fact that the book of Romans was written to a church that had already received the gospel message. So it's a church that was born, birthed, In the book of Acts. And so now they're dealing with issues and problems in the church. And so Corinthians, the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, would be written to a church that had already had the Acts experience. So that's a given. And so this is very important as you begin to read through the epistles and all of the writings of the apostles. It's very important that you remember, oh, This is why I need to know who it was written to and why it was written because I can begin to draw a conclusion that all I must do is... Let me give you a few instances. For instance, the the Scripture says, uh, He that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And so therefore one can draw a doctrinal view that all that is required is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. However, that verse was written... And taken in proper context, it was written because there was an argument going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so the Jews were saying that salvation was only to them. And so the believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, whosoever shall believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, was not written about this is a new doctrine of just believing. The doctrine was that it's for the Jew and the Gentile, not for one nationality, that whoever believes shall be saved. But we've got to go back and discover how did they get to the point of believing. That's where we have to go back to the book of Acts and find out where the church was born, how the church was born, and by the study of the book of Acts, we're going to begin to see the foundational truths that are being, being taught in the New Testament church. So, Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, there's a mouthful, and I could spend a lot of time here. I'll try not to bog down too much, but I want to spend a good a good deal of time to nail down some of these facts from the book of Acts. Um, the former treaties have I made. O Theophilus. Now, the former treaties, of course, is referring to Luke's writing of the book of Luke. And I'm going to prove that in Scripture here. And then, of course, the scripture speaks of O Theophilus, so we're going to answer who Theophilus was or who I think Theophilus was. You may think he was someone else. I'm going to give you my thought on this, and I'm going to give you as much biblical and historical reference as I can in this short period of time, and if you want to come back and believe Theophilus was somebody else, it's not a heaven or hell issue. You go on believing whatever you want to believe. It's okay for you to be wrong. All right. So the former treaties have I made, the book of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to what? To teach. That teach is very important. I'm going to cover that tonight, what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. Everybody say taught. He did it and he taught it. And So we're going to look at this uh, a little deeper. So uh, who was Theophilus? Let's take a look at, first let's begin with Luke chapter 1 verse number one, if you have your Bibles, flip there really quickly, and we're going to lay some of these foundational things of how that uh, the book of Acts and Luke are joined together, all right, and uh, Luke begins in Luke chapter one, verse number one, for for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, now watch. Now here's what you got to get. Now I want you to start watching this. Watch how that Luke begins to deal with the issue of faith. He's trying to destroy doubt, and he's trying to help Theophilus, whoever Theophilus is. He's trying to help Theophilus come to a point of believing and trusting what he is saying. And of course, now never forget that Luke is writing as he was moved on by the Holy Ghost. Because all Scripture is inspired of the Lord. Men of old wrote as they were moved on or inspired by the Holy Ghost. So I do not believe that the Bible is man's words that are inspired by God, but I believe it is God's Word that was inspired to man. So when we read it, we're reading God's Word that was inspired by God to certain men of old, and they wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So the wisdom of the writing of the Bible is much, much deeper than man's wisdom. It is the wisdom of God. And that's why the Bible can be so incredible, so powerful, and there can be so many links, and we can study it for a lifetime and never gain all its wisdom because it is the wisdom of God. So, all right, I don't want to get bogged down there. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. So he's saying Now there's a lot of people that's writing and they're trying to get to the point of of writing some document, a declaration of the things that we really believe. Even as they have delivered them unto us, which from the beginning, watch, from the beginning were what? Who were the eyewitnesses from the beginning? The apostles. The qualifications of an apostle was that they had to be an eyewitness of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. So he is saying they they are the apostles even they the apostles delivered to us this word because they are eyewitnesses and what else are they they are ministers of the word so they're delivering let me join these together they are delivering what Jesus they're delivering the word of Jesus of the things that they saw and so Can I I go back to Acts 1 now? Of the things that Jesus both began to what? To do and teach. So now the apostles are bringing the word to us of the things that they saw. So this is a writing of the things that are believed among us. It was delivered to us by the eyewitnesses. People who saw it, this is documented. So what he is saying is this is the best, most documented, researched story that I can possibly give you from the ministers of the word. It seems good to me also, verse 3, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect... Wow, Luke's thinking a lot of himself, isn't he? He had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. So Luke is saying, there is no question in me. I absolutely understood everything that they gave me. Everything that the apostles have spoken to me. Everything that every eyewitness of Jesus has come. I completely understand it. That's why I, Luke. Well, let me say it this way. That's why I understand it. I, Dr. Luke. I am writing of the things that people who were eyewitnesses brought their ministers of the word, and it seemed good to me because I have perfect understanding of all these things, to write and to put things in order. And then he addresses most excellent Theophilus. Now, why is this important? I'm going to try to explain to you because I'm going to try to explain to you who that I believe Theophilus was and why that this was important. Verse 4, he said that thou mightest know the certainty. See the words that he's using here? He is trying to remove doubt or unbelief. That thou, Theophilus, mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou theophilus has been instructed so luke is writing because theophilus is he is a man that his he's received this instruction he's been told this instruction but he's not receiving it now let me just get down to the to the point of this, I could spend a lot of time here and, and make a big dramatic uh, introduction into this, into the book of Acts to get to, to who I believe Theophilus is. Theophilus, I believe, was a high priest at the time of Luke's writing. So he was the high priest. So he was he was a religious leader. He was in Judaism. He was a high priest who was held in high esteem, he was a high leader of that time. You're going to see, I'm going to give you two or three tidbits of information of why I believe Theophilus uh, was uh, the high priest of the time of Luke's writing. Of course, now Luke, Luke was a doctor, so he would have been a man of education and a man of prominence. And so you would not take a man of low understanding, of little education, of little writing ability and expect him to go to the high priest and persuade the high priest of some new religious ideas. Does that make sense? So therefore, Dr. Luke is riding to high priest Theophilus, men of renown to men of renown, men of education to men of education, trying to Persuade him. You have been hearing this. This is being taught to you. You are hearing some things. And and, and I understand I am trying to solidify some things because you need to understand the details and I'm going to give you the best explanation of these things that I possibly can. So his words perhaps would have been taken more seriously Because Luke is a man of high esteem writing to the excellence, Theophilus. I believe Luke's writing to the high priest of that day in an attempt perhaps to reach the Jews who had rejected Jesus. So there's a reason for this. The Jews, of course, the high priest would have been the religious leader of the day. Now along comes Jesus destroying, calling them Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. And Luke's now coming along trying to clean up the mess. Because they're now just wanting to kill him and destroy him. But without a doubt, there was some among the religious crowd that must have been a little questioning. Theophilus now is a religious leader. And Jesus had chosen Luke to now persuade Theophilus of everything that happened with Jesus that it was true and that he was the Messiah and that he was the Savior of the world. So he refers to his earlier writings in the book of Acts because he, he addresses, O Theophilus, of the former treaties. So he's referring to The book of Luke, when he wrote the gospel according to Luke, he now is in the book of Acts, is addressing the earlier times trying to go back and say, Remember, Theophilus, I addressed you earlier and I'm writing to you again. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. So when Luke wrote his gospel, he began by preparing his reader to understand that the information that he is sharing was not hearsay, but it came from the original sources with people whose stories have been verified because there were several of them and they were there together with him and they all told the same story. Luke next says that the purpose of this treatise is to help Theophilus understand the things that obviously he already knew about Jesus. So it had to be somebody, Theophilus had to be someone who was concerned or maybe even consumed with Jesus. Now, he is being written to, to amplify the knowledge that he already possessed about Jesus And now we're going to solidify these stories. We're going to bring these together so you can truly understand. Now, I thought this was interesting. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with this teaching because I'm not preaching and I could go into this and preach about this perhaps at another time. But the name Theophilus means friend of God. His name meant friend of God. And so Luke, I I think that's... I would like to just preach on that for a little bit. Luke is writing to Theophilus, meaning friend of God. And Theophilus is also a distinctively Hebrew name. And so when he calls him most excellent, Luke is describing a man obviously of prominence. So he is some sort of a leader. If not the high priest, he would have been some sort of very high Ranking leader. And he, he addresses him most excellent. This form of address is applied to only two other people in the New Testament. According to my, my research and study, governors Felix and Festus were addressed in a similar way. It is not a greeting in a normal sense, but it is used as a title when addressing a person in a very high office. An esteemed individual. So it is obviously a man of high prominence. So Luke gave him a verified account. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So in my opinion, we're looking at the first presentation of a well-researched, well-documented story of Jesus to a highly placed person who must have been some sort of leader closely connected with religion at that time. It makes sense to me that perhaps it was the high priest. Here's why I think so. The succession of the high priest is found in a listing by Josephus, a Jewish historian. And he has Caiaphas, who had been the high priest from AD 18 through 36. He was followed by Jonathan, the son of Ananias. He was of the house. The scripture even says he's of the house of Ananias. But only for about a year he was removed from office because of atrocities that he had committed. Now this is the writing of Josephus. Now don't get this confused. And his brother was given the high priest position to rule from A.D. 37 to 41. This new high priest of that time His name was Theophilus, another son of Ananias. So therefore, it's a pretty strong case that Theophilus was the high priest of that time. The records show that as a young man, Theophilus was, here's a little further research for you. The records show that as a young man, Theophilus was a student under a great teacher of that time named Gamaliel. And with his brothers, Jonathan and Simon, who were classmates of Saul of Tarsus, who studied at the feet of Gamal. And Theophilus, of course, would want to know more about, perhaps he had kept up with his classmates, and so he would have wanted to know more about the studies, the understandings Because understand that um, perhaps Luke would have been very connected to him. So perhaps they would have been very, very tight. So the fact that Luke would have written the gospel to Theophilus, the high priest, makes sense to me in that time and place. Now, don't make a doctrine out of that. That's just a little research and a little story for you that I I wanted to share in going in so you understand the writings, how they link together, and I believe why it's important. And you're going to see this time and time and time again. I'm going to refer to my belief in this because I think that through the book of Acts it begins to be proven again and again and again. All right, so the purpose of Acts was to document all that Jesus began both to do And to teach. There's the purpose of the writings of the book of Acts. To document all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. So Acts concerns a very vital period in Christian history between the resurrection of Jesus and the death of the Apostle Paul. The time when Christian ideas and beliefs were being documented. This is when the scripture was being written. It was the time of the organization of the church because Jesus had come and set all things in order so that the church would be birthed, born, and go forth after his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, why did the church, why was the church not formed before his death, burial, and resurrection? Because the church would have had no power, because the power of the church is found in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, forth, the so, uh, the New Testament could not truly begin. Now, I'm going to throw a curveball at those of you who believe the New Testament begins in the Book of Matthew. Uh-oh, I felt a stump. Lighten up a little bit. The Book of Matthew, Mark, books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I understand they're placed in the Scripture, in the New Testament, but truly the Scripture says that a New Testament cannot begin until the death of the testator. That's what the Scripture says. And so in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was alive. So the New Testament, so the atonement for sin was not given until the end of those books at his death. And the power of his resurrection is what brings forth the newness of life so, again, don't argue that. Don't make doctrines out of that. I'm just throwing some things at you. When you begin to study, don't go to the book of Matthew and start looking for the power of the church because it wasn't founded until the book of Acts. This is why it's very important to rightly divide the word of truth. If we don't rightly divide it, we'll become confused in it. So I want to teach and I want to I, I I take a little time with you here Tonight, So this is a very, very powerful time. Acts is the only biblical pattern that we have for the church, for evangelism, and for spreading the gospel. It's the only biblical pattern that we have. Now there's a lot of good patterns that are out there. But everything else that we have was man-made and has been man-made since then. As a matter of fact, how many of you know when Sunday school was first talked about in the Bible? All right. Um, Somebody want to read that to me? Read that for me. When Sunday school was first started in the Bible. No no takers. All right. So I know that you think Sunday school is part of doctrine, right? Because we have to come on Sunday morning for Sunday school. But the truth is it's important to realize that Sunday school is was a man-made idea. It actually, Sunday school actually started, it originally started literally as a school. It was an educational system that was started by the church. They were put, It was put in place because poor children that couldn't read or write were put in jobs and were made to work crazy hours all through the week And in those days, even Saturdays were work days. So when we think we have it bad, do you know it wasn't until 1802 before a law was passed that children could only work 12 hours a day? That law was not passed until 1802 that they could only work 12 hours a day. Oh, and Saturday being a work day, they worked six days a week. So the Sunday school movement began in Britain around 1780. Wow. I mean, Jesus wasn't even here. Around 1780. So Sunday school's been around for a while. It's been around about, what, 300? How many years would that be? We're, we're, it would be about, about 350 years, I guess. Close. So the Industrial Revolution had resulted in children that spent all week working in factories. And Christians wanted to free them from their illiteracy and to bring them to a higher level. And so these poor children, people, men and women, volunteered to work at the church on Sunday for these poor children to come in to learn and read, to read and write. And they used for the textbook the Bible and so many children in those days learned to read and write from the bible and so there was a dual purpose that wasn't that a great idea it was attributed it was attributed to a man by the name of robert rakes he was an english anglican And he was the the, the key promoter of the Sunday school movement somewhere in the mid-1750s. It began to catch on. And by the mid-19th century, Sunday school was just part of life. Most every family, it it was a given. All throughout the United States, it was very rare to find someone who didn't go to Sunday school, whose children didn't go to Sunday school on Sunday. But now watch over time what has happened. As schools, the school system has increased and become more and more liberal and as education has become more and more prominent, now Sunday school has moved more into entertainment. We're competing with Hollywood, television. We're competing with, with all sorts of school programs. And so now... I'm not in any way saying that Sunday school has ran its course. I believe we have a strong, and we do here, we have a strong children's ministry. As a matter of fact, more than just Sunday school, we we don't really use the term too much Sunday school. We call it children's ministry, and we do children's ministry on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. And so it's more specific to children's ministry, and we're teaching them. On Wednesday night, we use the program, the kids' prayer program, and that's where the kids are learning how to pray and hear from God. And, and, and we have volunteers that are teaching. So not a lot has changed yet through time. We see Sunday school beginning to lose its prominence in America. Not in the church, but in America. And so it's ran a good long course. My point is, is don't fall in love with church programs. Religious programs come and go. That is not the foundation of the church. Jesus didn't say go and gather Sunday school kids. Larry Carter is the one that wrote a great song about Sunday school girl that makes you cry. Was a Sunday school girl, Sunday school boy, whatever it is, Sunday school child he wrote a great song, and it just rips my heart out every time I hear it. and It moves us. So I'm all for Sunday school. I'm not, I'm not ripping on Sunday school. My point is, is that there will be, through our lifetime, there's going to be a lot of programs that come into the church. Don't make doctrine out of them. If you want to know where and how the church was founded and what the early church looked like, you've got to go to the book of Acts. That tells us about the church, how the church was started, and how the church began. And believe it or not, the church did not begin in a building. Well, wow, now I'm messing with everybody. The church began house to house. They had all things in common. In other words, if somebody had a need, the church helped them. The church pitch, pitched in. We got together. They got to, that's why the church ought to be a family. That's the book of Acts. If there's a need, it ought to be met through the church. That's the book of Acts. That's how the church began. That's how the church moved forward. So, the church, the early church, all we know about it is what we read from the Bible. It started in the book of Acts. All right, then follow up letters with clear teachings of certain issues in the church were given by the apostles and we understand how the church should be taught, how the church should run, the government of the church, many things that are taught outside of the book of Acts to establish churches that were already founded in the book of Acts. So as we have gone to Lebanon and as the Sanchez have gone to Lafayette to establish a church, the pattern, the plan of that must not be the latest, greatest megachurch. It must be founded how did they do it in the book of Acts? How was it started? And so the book of Acts begins The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Wow, if I spend as much time on every verse as I have verse one. Verse two Until the day in which he, who's he, Jesus, was taken up. Of course, this is referring to. The ascension of Jesus when it talks about taken up until the day. So it's it's the writing is of the things that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. Now remember that these verses were put in by the King James writers. All right, so when you're reading, these verses are placed in by the King James writers. Writers that were translating. So they're translating over. And so they put verses in so we can reference and find certain things in Scripture. The original text was not written in chapters and verses. So it just continues. So the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of the things that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up. After that through the Holy Ghost had given commandments, uh uh-oh, unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So the things that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he ascended, after through the Holy Ghost had given commandments to these apostles. So Jesus had taught them by the power of the Holy Ghost that resided in him. He had given it to the apostles, these men he had chosen. So here Luke begins to nail down the teachings of the apostles. What he is doing here is he is saying what you hear the apostles say. They are saying it. What you see the apostles doing. They are doing it because they were given commandments by Jesus Christ himself. So, CLC. If somebody comes to you and they say, well, I only want to do what Jesus says. You got to, I want to read what Jesus said and only do what Jesus said. I don't care what the apostles say. This is what Luke is dealing with right off the beginning of the book of Acts. So if someone wants to know what Jesus said, they have to read what the apostles say. And this is very important because John spoke to the people who only want to receive direction from Jesus. Let's look at John chapter 21, verse number 25. If you can put that on the screen for me. Very quickly, I want everybody to get this. And there, John said, and there are so many. Can I get that? John chapter 21, verse 25. And there also, what? Many other things which Jesus did, Luke said, of the things that Jesus began both to do and teach. John said, there's so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, uh uh-oh, this messes up the idea that I only want to read what Jesus said and do what Jesus did and cancel out everything else. Because if everything that Jesus had done would have been written, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So therefore, when somebody says, I want to know what Jesus said, read what the apostles say. Because they are just saying what Jesus said to them. Well, I want to see where Jesus said to them. You got to understand, it's not all written. Some things were taught that were never written. So when the apostles began to write, they are writing what Jesus had taught them, what Jesus had said to them, what Jesus had spoken to them. Now, This is why that believing will always be an issue that is required. There's a certain element of faith that is required in believing the Word of God. But Luke starts his writings by attempting to give infallible proofs. Everybody say infallible proofs. Verse number three. Wow, I'm almost out of time. To whom also he showed himself alive. Remember now, I'm picking up in a verse that wasn't there. So it would have just been continuous scripture here. To whom he also, Jesus, also showed himself alive after his passion. After his after the whole passion, death, burial, and resurrection. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. Bah how? Ooh, boy. By many infallible proofs. Luke is nailing this down to Theophilus. He's saying, hey, don't mess around with me now. I am telling you by documented, the very best documentation I have of the things that are about to be shared with you have come from Jesus himself to people that was there with him, not one, not two, but the 12 that he had chosen, they're there with him. They and And then he comes and he shows himself after the resurrection by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days. He didn't just show up. Somebody said, oh, well, they ate too many beans last night, too much hummus last night. For 40 days he kept showing up. And he kept speaking to them. What did he say to them? We want to know what he said. Read the rest of verse 3. Read it out loud with me. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So I'm okay with taking what the apostles say. Because With many infallible proofs. Jesus came after his resurrection. And showed himself for 40 days. And it's not written down. But he told them all sorts of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So before Luke ever begins writing about the miracles of healing. The lame walking. The blind seeing. The dead being raised. And God forbid those people that are going to speak in tongues in in the second chapter. Before we ever get to all of that, we got to nail down the fact, Theophilus. You got to believe this. This message came from people who knew because they were there. And it's by many infallible proofs. So, before he mentions spirits, particularly ghosts, the Holy Ghost. Entering into a room, causing people to speak languages that they had never learned. He first tries to speak with reasoning by many infallible proofs. And he states that Jesus spoke things to the apostles pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1 and 4. And being assembled together. Who being assembled? Jesus was assembled together with the apostles and being assembled together with them, the apostles, commanded them, the apostles, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Underline that. You've heard it. Theophilus, I'm throwing this little line in here because you might have heard about this. Because Jesus talked about there's going to be something that was going to happen after he departed. And he told them to go and tarry for the promise of the Father, which you've heard about. Luke is saying, this is not new news. Jesus declared this to the apostles while he was here. And maybe, Theophilus, maybe you heard about it. But if not, the apostles had heard about it. And Jesus said to them, it's what I've been telling you about. So I'm assuming this teaching of Jesus must have been common knowledge among those who had heard his teachings. So perhaps Theophilus would have heard the teachings or heard about the teachings of this promise of the Father. So Luke reminds him and verifying this common teaching of Jesus. The teaching of the Holy Ghost being poured out was a common teaching of Jesus. So if you are part of a church that the Holy Ghost being poured out is not a common teaching of the church. I don't want to be part of that church. I want to be part of a church that the common teaching of the church is that there is a promise of the Father that belongs to you. I feel feel that presence tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight in just teaching to you. And being assembled together with him, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. So if you want to know what Jesus said, listen to what the apostles say. Luke is verifying the teachings of the apostle. Luke continues with his writing to Theophilus. Fifth verse, do I have time? For John truly baptized with water. You know that, Theophilus. John baptized with water. Jesus was okay with that. The apostles were okay with that. Jesus even notes it and he said to the apostles, John baptizes with water. Surely you've heard Jesus mention about the baptism of John. But he told the apostles not to leave Jerusalem because they are going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence, in other words, not many days from now, that promise of the Father is the Holy Ghost. Just like John baptized with water under repentance, he's saying the promise of the Father is going to do the same thing to you, but it's going to be with the Holy Ghost. You're going to get submerged in it. You're going to get. You're going to go under in it. This he's saying. You shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days since. So this is the kingdom, O Theophilus. See, Theophilus, here's why it had to be Theophilus. I, he had to be the high priest because he's thinking the teaching of Jesus is the teaching of the kingdom of this world. He's come to liberate us from the Roman Empire. But he's saying, no, Theophilus, the kingdom of heaven, it's not meat or drink, Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is... Is about the promise of the Father. So his kingdom is not of this world, and your religious system is not the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told the apostles, Wait in Jerusalem until you be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days from now. All right, I'm going to let you go. Next week, we're going to pick up with verse 6, which is Luke's account of what happened when the apostles came together. All right, so by the help of the Lord next week, we're going to pick up there with verse number six. Five verses tonight. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through the book of Acts. I may get lippy every now and then through this thing. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it with many infallible proofs. Stand with me tonight. Lift your hands. Thank the Lord tonight for his word. God, we love you and thank you tonight. God, your word is a lamp to our feet and light into our path. Thank you for this wonderful truth. Thank you for the doctrine of the truth of God. Thank you, O oh Lord, for giving us a path to follow. I pray over this congregation tonight, every man, woman, boy, or girl in this room tonight, Lord, that your